So this week, we are continuing on in our theme of moving from judgment to love when we look at ourselves, when we look at God, when we look at the world around us. Part of what we will be talking through today is looking lovingly at others, especially when it would be natural to take on a lens of judgment, looking at their reactions to certain situations. How often do we judge others, and I think ourselves too, in the way that they respond to circumstances? This kind of question of like, or statement of, I wouldn't do that. Why are they responding that way? Moving from those type of statements to questions, which I think the movement from statement to question is just helpful in general. But with this, the questions can become, I wonder why this person is doing that. Or where does Jesus fit into their response? So as we ground this conversation in scripture this morning, I'm so excited that Erica is joining me up here. Hello, Erica. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Um, So we are actually, we're going to come back to a story that we have talked about, um, and it's a central story in the Christian tradition, one that centers on the resurrection of Jesus. We've talked through some ways of looking at the cross through Lent and in Easter, um, but today we're going to return not just to talk about the crucifixion, but to talk about Mary Magdalene's role and her reaction. So I gave Erica the open prompt of what story in scripture can we use almost as a case study of being able to move from judgment to love. And I'm really excited for our conversation today. So Erica, could you tell us a little bit more about why you chose this story and what we're going to be talking about? Yeah, so I chose this story um, because growing up, I didn't receive like the best messages about what the resurrection meant. I think as a people further removed from the storyline, the popular narrative that has played out um, is one that centers on personal salvation. Um, I think it's pretty uh, a pretty normal refrain within most American churches that um, Jesus died for our sins. Um, and the crucifixion then is, you know, Jesus stepping in as this metaphorical sacrifice um, to appease an angry God. Um, but I think those closer to the events would have experienced less metaphor um, and more of a reality uh, around some of the events that were, were, going, um, that were going on. Um, and I think, unfortunately, uh, what the tradition Western approach to the crucifixion has done um, has removed um, that depth um, and the variety of experiences um, held by maybe many people that weekend. And that these people probably saw the resurrection as less um, of a story of personal salvation um, and more as an ending to what had been, what must have been a um, long, painful, um, emotionally draining weekend. And I think remembering the resurrection and the experiences of those people um, through a lens of love can illuminate different meanings to those events. Um, So that's why today um, I wanted to talk about one of those potential meanings um, by looking at those events through the perspective of Mary of Magdalene. I love this, uh, this shift from having a symbolic understanding to an embodied reality, I think is some of what you're getting at here when we talk about the cross almost as metaphor, that it becomes a symbol of personal individual salvation. But instead, when we look at an embodied reality, 
we can see the shift from the in individual to communal and just the real stakes as they're unfolding, um, the actual embodied experiences that are taking place. And I love that we're looking at this through the lens of Mary because anytime that we can look through the lens of a, someone who's not a male, <laughs> I think it's helpful to get some insight into what is taking place. Yeah. So let's get into the details of this story. Can you retell some of it for us? Yeah, so um, this story is recorded in all four Gospels, but I'm going to use the version that's recorded in the Gospel of John. Um, it occurs in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. It goes, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said, when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not touch me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went, up, uh, went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Um, so I'll start by saying that uh, Mary of Magdalene is one of my favorite biblical characters. Um, and this is the only narrative we have that features her in a speaking role. Uh, Mary is named in the Gospel of Luke as being one of Jesus's female disciples, along with a handful of other women specifically named, um, and a broader and other women to denote Jesus's unnamed female disciples. Uh, Mary and these other women were not too far um, from the site of the crucifixion, and some accounts, like the one recorded in the Gospel of John, have the women close enough uh, that they could actually hear him speak from the cross. Mm. After his death, she and these other women, who included Mary, the mother of James, Joanna, um, and likely Mary, Jesus' mother, um, and other name, unnamed women, cared for Jesus while he was laid in the tomb. As I think about her devotion to Jesus throughout this story, I wonder why. I was taught this was simply, you know, like a cultural obligation, um, and she and these other women were expected to like fulfill um, this, this kind of task, um, and that there was like kind of nothing special going on here. And maybe there was like some shared consensus um, amongst Jesus's female disciples of who would care for him in the tomb, and you know, she just happened to be on call that day. Um, I, I don't really know. Um, but personally, I think there's something much deeper to her actions. Um, and so I actually just wanted to, you know, spend a little bit of time talking about her um, and, and what may have been at play for her, you know, personally. Um, 
like I said, I really like Mary of Magdalene. I think she's a super cool lady, and we don't talk about her enough in the church. Um, and I remember growing up, there being like some weird confusion um, that she was like a prostitute. Um, and it was like years later, um, I learned that it stemmed from like this very misguided um, sermon from like the sixth century pope um, that apparently um, continued to have prevalence, um, at least when I was growing up in you know, the 90s, mid-2000s, and probably still has prevalence today. Yeah, I think um, this tendency for some people to read prostitution or promiscuity into stories is a whole other topic that we could get into. Um, the woman at the well is one of my favorite examples of this, that in the text it never says anything about promiscuity, but then we bring that to stories and we recenter um, what an actual relationship looks like by adding this layer, an actual relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it can be really redemptive if we have this opportunity to reinterpret stories and correct the narrative. Um, so if that isn't a detail about Mary, what are some details that we have here? Yeah. Um, so in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, um, Soon afterward, he, meaning Jesus, went on through one town and village after another, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women, who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Herod, Stuart Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who ministered to them out of their own resources. So Mary was a woman who was invited into discipleship through healing. Um, And as a result, she used her own resources to minister to people of the towns and villages Jesus would go and visit. Yeah, I think it's interesting here, too, to highlight that these women had resources to be able to support um, the ministry of Jesus and others. And we see this later unfold um, around Paul's time, because often we resort, we like to think of the progression of women as a straight line that just goes up and that as you go through time, women have more resources and more autonomy and things like that. But we actually see women in the story who have some sense of power, some sense of a role in the greater things. And they definitely still faced a lot of the hardships and discrimination and things like that, a lot of the underlying cultural things. But they're thinking of Mary as someone who did have a sense of place in what was taking place instead of just this lump together of other women, that she's an individual with a role here, I think is really important. Yeah, that's really important. And, you know, the fact that she is named, um, that the author you know, felt it important enough that, you know, the audience know her name is, mm-hmm. is really, I think, um, special to, to notice, too. Um, so I know for me personally, um, knowing this about her, I wonder what the crucifixion must have been like for her. Um, because we know that she was there, um, because she's named at, at, as um, being one of the women who... Um, was at the scene of the cross. Um, And so for me, I just kind of go through kind of this um, point of reflection to kind of see, okay, what are some of the emotions she may have been feeling at that time? And I wonder if maybe she felt, you know, maybe helpless. Um, 
you know, her experience of Jesus was witnessing someone do the impossible for the sake of other people all of the time. Um, and right now, in that moment, uh, there was nothing she could do to help him. Um, and sometimes I wonder, maybe she felt a little bit angry at him. Like, he was able to save all of these people um, around them, wherever they traveled, wherever uh, they went. Um, but why wasn't he able to save himself in that moment? Why, why let people do those things to him? Um, and, and maybe she was just in shock. She, she couldn't believe what was going on, what was inf- unfolding in front of her eyes. Um, because just the day prior, things probably looked and felt very normal for her. Um, so I think, you know, taking the step back and kind of um, looking at the range of emotions she may have been feeling um, can kind of help us to kind of um, start to understand a, a better framing for the story. Yeah, she is actively experiencing this unfolding, and we get a bigger picture of the scope of things. Um, it just helps to humanize Jesus's experience in this of suffering and dying, and humanize Mary's experience as she's actively responding. Right. Exactly. Um, so for me, um, as a kid, um, it's in this next part where kind of uh, I felt like people kind of insert judgment into the story. Um, and so going back to the John passage, it's in John chapter 20, um, starting at verse 13. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. And I remember getting a message of, you know, why didn't Mary, like, pay attention when Jesus was, you know, ministering to people? And, you know, he said that, you know, he would come back from the dead on the third day. Like, what is she thinking? Also, how did she not, like, recognize Jesus in the garden? Like, you know, what kind of woman was she? Like, clearly she wasn't, you know, having as much faith as she would have. Um, Otherwise, she would have, you know, recognized Jesus. And um, there's, I felt like there was very little, you know, pausing to kind of reflect on this is a woman who has, you know, experienced something that was extremely traumatizing um, and maybe taking another step back to kind of try to figure out another meaning behind what she was saying um, in those words. Yeah, I think this idea of um, a faithful versus unfaithful response really isn't fair, that her, her doubting and not understanding that the full scope of what was going on Um, gets painted as like, oh, Mary just had like very little faith. Like she didn't fully believe in what was going to take place. And it's easy for us to read ourselves into the best picture of what a faithful response would be or could be. Um, I think that, I know for me at least, there was this, there used to be this internalized sense of um, judging those who question or doubt or who don't believe. that, that we can separate ourselves out and label ourselves or label people we know as faithful and good, and we can avoid the actual reality of mess where often doubt and trust are really deeply intertwined. But your encouragement here to keep asking questions 
especially around feelings and motivation of people in the story. This has been super helpful for me, and it's something that I keep coming back to as well, of um, asking deeper questions of what people would be experiencing. Because I wasn't really taught to read scripture that way. There's this practice um, called Ignatian contemplation. Um, and in this practice, you read scripture and you think about, you put yourself in the story actually, and you think about what were, what would the feelings of the story be? Like how would the air around you feel? What would things smell like? What would they actively feel like? And I, I think that that is a very sensory experience. And what you're getting at here is an even deeper level of emotionally, what would people in the story be feeling? And that's been really helpful for me. Um, so if we are looking at the story this way and Mary's response in this way, what does it look like to continue to view this through a lens of love instead of a lens of judgment? Yeah, so I think re-envisioning the story through a lens of love, um, we can see a very different set of events play out. Um, so going back to that passage, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. I think these words could encourage us to consider everything she's experienced up until this point. Um, I think when we pause and think about the gravity of what she experienced, I think we can see someone we can all relate to. It's the feeling of loss. Um, it's the feeling of a change you weren't prepared for. Um, it's a tragedy that has turned your entire world upside down. Um, and maybe Mary isn't suffering from a lack of faith. Um, maybe she is trying desperately to make sense of her world um, that seemed completely normal two days ago um, and has since been turned upside down. Um, and maybe she is someone who is grasping at straws to hold everything together, not just for her sake, but also for the sake of her community. Um, and then... Uh, just when she thinks things can't get any worse, um, she goes to the tomb on Sunday morning and Jesus's body isn't there. Maybe what she's saying is something more like, I'm not ready for him to be gone yet, but someone has taken him away from me again. Mm -hmm. And then she sees someone um, who she assumes to be the gardener and I think maybe she has a sense of hope, like maybe her teacher's body isn't gone forever. Um, maybe the gardener simply moved him for some reason, I don't know. Um, and she could recover him. So she says in John chapter 20, verse 15, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I can take him away. And I imagine her tone being, look, I'm, I'm not even angry. Um, just let me know where you moved him, and I'll move him back. Hmm. So I think when we're reimagining her tone and her motivation and her actual emotional experiences here, we got a different view of the story going on. Do you feel like there's what would be some meaning or lessons that we can take from this story, and how does it impact us? Yeah, definitely. So... Um, I think that um, looking at Jesus's response is kind of the, the place where we find the first lesson in this story. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, 
there tends to be more of a focus on Mary's recognition of Jesus um, when she realizes that it is Jesus who's talking to her. Um, But I think what is probably just as important um, is Jesus's recognition of Mary um, and the fact that she recognizes him after he names her. Um, And this is in verse 16 when he says, Mary. And I wonder if there is something in the way he says her name that she realizes that it is Jesus talking to her. Um, And she knows it's him because um, she can't imagine anyone else um, that would be able to see her in that way. And I think that's that's really important, um, the fact that, you know, Jesus recognizes her, that he names her, and that's how she knows that it is Jesus talking to her. Um, And this can have a lesson for us when we're in suffering, when we're in a depression, when we're faced with uncontrollable anxieties. We don't have to worry that God is sitting back wondering, you know, when are they going to get over it? Um, We worship a God that knows and understands the full depth of human pain um, because he experienced it himself. Um, and he recognizes us and meets us where we are, um, just like Jesus recognized and met Mary. Mm. Um, I think there's a second lesson here as well. Um, so I think a lot of my early experience of faith um, stemmed from a place of fear. Um, there was fear of hell, fear of rejection from family and friends, um, fear of God's anger. But when I look at Mary's experience, I challenge myself to see someone who follows Jesus from a place of love. Um, she comes to discipleship as a result of being healed, and she wants others to experience that healing. During his life, this looks like joining his ministry um, and the wake, or sorry, uh, during his trial and crucifixion. Um, this looks like being present uh, as a visible reminder that he isn't alone. Um, in the wake of his death, her discipleship looked like caring for Jesus's body in the tomb. And after the resurrection, it looks like spreading the good news. Um, And her discipleship changes because her context changes. The world changes. She changes. Even Jesus changes. Everything changes. Yeah. I love this. And I love that healing is the entryway for Mary's discipleship or um, if following or formation are easier words um, that healing is the entryway, but her experience of God shifts throughout her story. And I think that's really important to remember because sometimes pictures of faithfulness look like um, being solid and unshakable and unchangeable by what's going on around you, that you have to be so firmly attached to belief and unwilling to move or change that when you encounter things actively in the world, you can't change. You can't humanize people fully or um, actually invest in caring for people well, that you have to stay so unmoved and that being unchanged is almost elevated. But Mary is showing us that throughout the course of following God, following some type of deeper source of meaning and support and care, that we 
we can change and we should change, that changing, that changing is important, and that as we change, our view and our understanding of God and others should change as well. Yep, definitely. And I think this gives us an avenue for compassion um, for ourselves um, to see that as our world changes, um, as we change, we can ask ourselves, um, how do we respond um, as disciples of of Jesus Christ? Um, And we are given full permission to adapt um, so we can respond in a way that fits our context. Um, And I think that God meets us here too, um, just like Jesus met Mary, um, to reassure us that his presence is enduring even within the midst of that change. Yeah, and I I love too that um, mystery and uncertainty are highlighted here, that we don't have to have some clear sense of what following Jesus or being a disciple of Christ, all these phrases that are being used, that um, we have full permission to respond in whatever way feels natural for what's taking place in the moment, um, because that's what we see Mary do as well, that she responds out of her grief, she responds out of motivation and change and things like that. Um, But the course of her unfolding, I think, is a really great picture of how we can give ourselves grace, how we can look at our own stories with love and not judgment. And that's a really great example here. Thank you so much, Erica. Can we give her a round of applause for being a part of things this morning? Thank you, thank you. you. Um, I'm going to take a moment for us here to pause and to go through a prayer exercise together. Um, And we are going to use something that Erica pointed out here is just the importance of naming that Jesus names Mary in the garden, and when he says her name, she recognizes him as teacher, as this person I've been following, as this person who has shaped my life. Um, So in this exercise, this is a centering prayer or a breath prayer, and what you're going to do as you breathe, on the inhale, you're going to think of a name of God. Um, This can be whatever name comes to mind. And then on the exhale, you're going to bring to mind something that you are longing for and hoping for. So with Mary, when she calls Jesus teacher, she's probably longing for some type of clarity, some type of meaning, some type of understanding, and all of the mess of what's going on. And so today, whatever name of God comes to mind for you, you'll say that in your head um, on the inhale, and then as you exhale, bring to mind some type of longing. You can use the same name and the same longing for the whole exercise. I'll give us plenty of room here just to have space to breathe. Or you can move around and switch um, names and things that you're hoping for as you go, whatever feels uh, natural and hopeful for you. And if this exercise doesn't feel helpful, feel free to just take a moment to pause. I don't think that we get a lot of moments of stillness in our lives. So I will open us and would you pray with me? provide a few examples as well so you can get a feel for things. Jesus in the garden, in the wake of disaster, in the mess of grief, God, I thank you that you are with us. And so now we take a moment just to breathe that as we breathe, we bring to mind this feeling of being known, feeling seen. God, that we could have 
an understanding of you um, where if you were to say our names, there would be recognition that you are holding all things together. Holy Spirit, be our guide. Mother God, comfort us. Teacher, show us new life. God of wonder, of curiosity and possibility. Would we find rest in the stillness and in the quiet as we take a few more moments here just to breathe?
Jesus, as we look to Mary's story unfolding, would we have grace with our own unfolding, that we are simultaneously who we are and who we are becoming, and that in that full scope of the story, God, in the new realizations, the ways that we are changing, the ways that we come to see you, would you help us to find a deeper sense of connection, of stillness, of hopefulness? God, that you are a companion in all of this. And would we recognize you as Mary recognized you? Amen. <laughs>